and welcome back to Talk Talk. I'm your host, Emily Osan. I'm here by myself today to talk to you about Title V, Do We Need Custodians of Knowledge? Discussing this with reference to two AOKs. I actually sat down last week with Kevin Hoy and recorded this episode, but I had a technical malfunction. So as I went to edit this weekend, I listened back and the audio was inaudible. It was terrible. So unfortunately, the recording was lost. I was able to skim through it and decipher some of the essence of the conversation. So I've jotted some notes down based off of what I said and what Kevin said, and I'm just going to share those back with you now. And I'll do my best to give credit to Kevin where his ideas came in and try to faithfully represent the conversation as it was. But I might not be able to do that entirely well because I do not have a photographic memory at all. So to get started, do we need custodians of knowledge? I personally really find this title exciting. I think it's full of tension. It's asking us to take a stance and explore the stances of needing or not needing um, and the various roles of a custodian. We began our conversation by just asking simply, what is a custodian? And Kevin said that he thought that in itself would be a thoughtful response, just spending some time exploring the roles of the custodian. So he presented one kind of role, which would be like, I think he called it a monkish figure, who would be someone who hides away and controls the knowledge, allows or disallows access to it, perhaps as a religious um, monk might have done in the past. Whereas another role, he said, within the scientific community, perhaps as a custodian, the community itself was a custodian, and the method of scientific inquiry requiring peer review and um, that kind of discussion and discourse that happens within science as a custodian in itself, holding each other to account, would be another example of maybe a more positive role a custodian might play. In my personal experience, when I was in elementary school or primary school, a custodian was someone at the school who was responsible for cleaning and keeping care of the school itself. So to me, a custodian has a very positive meaning. It's someone who cares for and looks after, cleans, and makes sure everything is okay at, in, you know, in that place, or in this case, with knowledge. It might also have a positive connotation because we often talk about custodians of children. So someone like a parent or a caretaker or a guardian, the custodian is like a legal guardian of a person um, until they're old enough to become. So there's, there's a generally positive or loving, kind connotation. On the other side, I think sometimes a custodian might also keep guard or keep under control. So I suppose there's also a negative kind of role. So we have these two opposing kind of positive and negative roles. I'm sure there's also a spectrum of other kinds of roles a custodian might play. So the positive being someone who keeps guard to nurture, to keep it safe um, from loss or degradation, and the negative role being sort of a gatekeeper and keeping it away from others. Kevin gave us a really interesting um, example of a family of Peruvian potato farmers. He said that he had read an article or heard an interview on CNN about a family who 
we're keeping care of the knowledge of how to cultivate and care for potatoes, all these different shapes and colors and tastes. And she saw herself as a custodian of that knowledge because if she weren't the one or that family weren't the one keeping it, that knowledge would be lost. And that seems like a really positive role. I think another positive role a custodian might play would be someone who's keeping care of really important cultural, religious, indigenous knowledge that might otherwise be lost in our modern society. Language, perhaps, um, customs, traditions, knowledge, deep knowledge of plants and in the place, um, how things might be cultivated. I think that's all really good examples of maybe that positive role. Kevin also mentioned the Académie Française, which is also known as the French Academy. It's like a council who looks after and guards the French language. I think this one is a nice example because it's sort of on the line of preserving culture and language, but also borders on gatekeeping as well, because who is to say what can or cannot be part of a language? That's quite a nice example and worth exploring perhaps a little bit more. I then wondered, how does one become a custodian of knowledge? Like who is given the authority or the right? Who decides what is kept? These kind of value judgments pertain to all the eras of knowledge and even to the curriculum itself. Kevin and I talked about like the educators, we as educators being custodians of knowledge um, and how as a teacher who writes our own curriculum, we choose what we teach. Oftentimes it's up to us. Sometimes it's regulated by external exams. Like for example, with IB, um, there are a certain amount of content that we need to teach to prepare students for the exams. The structure itself kind of regulates that. Perhaps IB is also a custodian because of what it chooses to put on the exams. The exam writers themselves are custodians. But this, this puts a lot of responsibility in the hands of teachers and curriculum writers. And I think as educators, we know this and we take that ethical responsibility on as part of our role. And any good educator is aware and makes those decisions about what they're including and what they're disincluding. But I also brought up that, you know, we have this sort of canon of greatness and things that, you know, within literature, for example, that by nature, including one thing, we must exclude another. And Kevin said very aptly that we cannot buy everything when we go to the grocery store. Like you think about knowledge as a supermarket, we can't buy everything. I don't know. I think maybe you could, but then I guess you'd be the owner of the supermarket. Um, so he put forth the argument that this selectivity is not necessarily a bad thing. And I raise the point though, the problem here is that generations uh, within English language have particularly been biased towards uh, a certain group of individuals, namely male voices or Western male voices. Um, as, as it kind of makes sense though, as it has been English itself, these pieces of work have grown in an English speaking world, which culturally has been dominated by these voices. So much of what is written and revered is naturally from those perspectives. Kevin says that there are certainly universal truths to be found in these canonical works, 
So perhaps that is why they're worth keeping. And I don't disagree that there is beauty and insight to be found in the works of Shakespeare, or Dickens, or Eliot, or any of these voices that we've revered across centuries. However, by keeping these voices and upholding these voices, that naturally makes less room for other voices to be heard. So what about the voices that have been lost or discluded simply by keeping them in? So this is a fine line between being a gatekeeper and a custodian in the selection and choice of a curriculum. So what other great truths and insights are we not hearing because we choose to keep one over another? And likewise, if we choose to get rid of the canon and not teach the canon, and we only listen to new voices from all around the world, what happens to that old other knowledge? Um, do we then lose that? And are these kinds of trade-offs that we're willing to make? I think these uh, really come down to values. And ultimately, these are very difficult ethical choices that we as educators and you guys as students need to make about what kind of things that you're taking into your own knowledge system. Right. Then I raise a question, and this might be helpful for you to think about. What if we didn't have custodians of knowledge? What would happen? What about, is there, are there certain kinds of knowledge that are worth protecting or guarding? Like either because we don't want to lose them or because the knowledge itself might be dangerous, might have implications that we wouldn't be able to handle. That ignorance is bliss kind of saying rings true here. Kevin said perhaps a good example of that was people in the Pentagon or people in governments or of authority, there's certainly another kind of guardian or another kind of custodian. And we see this, he said, during wartime, where journalists that might be asked not to publish certain information because it's sensitive and it would put others at risk. So I think that's another realm to explore too, like why we might need custodians, like why we maybe don't want everyone to have access to all kinds of knowledge. And I guess this kind of ultimately comes down to very important worldviews and values. Kevin also brought up another example, uh, Wikipedia, as a good example of a custodian. So Wikipedia is run by a group of people who edit. Anyone can write a Wikipedia page, but if you want to edit, you actually need to apply to become a Wikipedia editor, and you have to log in. You have to create an account, and you're, you become part of that community that curates and edits the information that's included on Wikipedia, which is great because it there's some amount of accountability there. You can't just have anyone popping on and editing. You can't have bots just doing it for money. Or um, it, it needs to be people who have earned some amount of that can demonstrate some kind of knowledge or authority. And it's great because they were able to, from multiple sides, edit the same article. And there's some articles on Wikipedia that if you look at the history, the edits go back and forth and back and forth and every other hour they're changing because there's such disputes. But that's a good example of people who edit the Wikipedia page, going back to what I said about a custodian who cleans. People who edit the Wikipedia pages kind of are cleaners. They take what others have written 
They might add to it. They might delete some of it. They also make note when citation is needed or not vetted. So they're constantly keeping care of what that knowledge that we share on those pages. Just wrapping up, I really regret that I don't have the full conversation with Kevin and I've done my best to distill it here in a hopefully helpful way for you guys. But um, I think we are all in a, on an individual level custodians by choosing what we learn, but also choosing what we, we share. So I think with this title, there's some things to be aware of. I think a really good exploration would be one that explores those roles. Um, maybe does take some stance that we, yes, we do need it in some cases, perhaps not in others, perhaps depending on the role. You could also take a stance where you clearly define the role of a custodian as either a gatekeeper or a caretaker and stick with that through and argue a point, but you would need to be able to explore what could be said against that kind of argument. So I like this question a lot. I think there's a, it's rife with debate and lots of chances to really like, to really argue and really think about some controversial issues. Be careful here about delving into value judgments and ethical judgments. This is not about your opinion. So be careful with that. Thanks again to Kevin for joining me. Apologies that I don't have his conversation here. I hope you found this helpful. I'll talk to you again next time. Bye, guys.